Please stand for the reading of God's word. Ruth chapter 4, and we'll be reading from verse 1 to verse 17. From verse 1 to verse 17. Ruth chapter 4, from verse 1. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz spoke was passing by. And so he said, come over here, friend, sit down here. And he came over and sat down. And then he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. And so they sat down. And he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has returned from the land of Moab, has to sell the plot of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. So I thought that I would inform you, saying, buy it before those who are sitting here and before the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me so that I may know, for there is no one except you to redeem it, and I am after you. And he said, I will redeem it. And then Boaz said, on the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth the Moabites, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. And then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, otherwise I would jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself. You may have my right of redemption since I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning the redemption and the exchange of land to confirm any matter. A man removed his sandal and gave it to another. And this was the way of confirmation in Israel. And so the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. And he removed his sandal. And then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses today that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Malon. And furthermore, I have acquired Ruth the Moabites, widow of Malon, to be my wife in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance so that the name of the deceased will not be eliminated from his brothers or from the court of his birthplace. You are witnesses today. And all the people who were in the court and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, both of whom built the house of Israel, and may you achieve wealth in Ephrathah and become famous in Bethlehem. Moreover, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, through the descendants whom the Lord will give you by this young woman. And so Boaz took Ruth, she became his wife, and he had relations with her. And the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today. And may his name become famous in Israel. May also be to you as one who restores life and sustains your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. And then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and became his nurse. And the neighbor woman gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. 
And so they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Father, we thank you for this book and for the way you have used these words in our lives to minister to us, to strengthen us, and to remind us of your goodness in our lives. We thank you because you are a merciful and faithful God, just as you were to Naomi and Ruth, and so you are to us today. There is no God like our God. We bless you and we thank you. Draw us to yourselves as we pay attention to these verses and as your word is being meditated on. Give us insight, give us clarity, and give us an obedient heart. And this we ask in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Please be seated, beloved. Well, we finally reached the end of this book, and as you noticed from the start of the portion we just read, Boaz was a man with a lot of influence and uh, clout, because when he says to this other individual, the uh, one who was closest to Naomi as Redeemer, come here, friend, and sit right here, <laughs> the guy may have been busy, but he had to stop. And then when he calls 10 elders, they all stopped and came, because Boaz was a very prominent figure in Bethlehem. The book of Ruth begins with a series of tragedies. Chapter 1, there's a famine. Then we have a bankrupted family, three tombstones. We have fear, three widows who are eventually separated, one of which goes back to her people. That's Orpah. And in chapter 1, we're introduced to this young widow named Ruth. She is a Moabite, therefore of the people of Moab, people that was originally cursed by God, who could never be a part in any way, shape, or form, be a part of God's people. She is a woman born into idolatry. And yet by the providence of God, because of his doing, she is called out and now becomes a resident of the land of Israel. She says to her mother-in-law, your people will become my people. And where you live, I will live. And where you die, I will die. In the quarters where you sleep, I will sleep. Your God will be my God. Remarkable statement. This act of faith is unexplainable because it's not that Israel was like leaving uh, Montreal to go to Hawaii. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like that at all. They were starving in Moab, but it was going to be worse for her in Israel, much worse. The reason why she said these words is because God gave her the faith to say these words, because faith always comes from God. We cannot muster faith on our own. So God's call was on her life, and she made that remarkable statement, and she left, she left Moab and goes with Naomi back to Israel. And you will remember that it was very hard for them because Naomi herself says, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant, call me Mara, bitter, because God has afflicted me. Her hand, his hand rather, has been heavy on me. Now, their husbands were dead, and these women had no way of reclaiming the family inheritance. Their land was heavily indebted, and it was going to be sold, and the family would lose it. And in case of financial difficulty, a man might be forced to mortgage his land. And 
Most likely that's what happened to this land. And he would lose all rights if he did not pay it. Now, because these were widows, they could not become servants of someone. Had they been younger, like Ruth, she would have been a slave. She would have to simply keep paying off the debt. And she would, that would have been called indentured slavery. It's not chattel slavery. She would sell herself as a slave to pay off the debt. That could have been even a situation for her. Apparently, this is what happened. Land that belonged to Elimelech, which would have ended up in Kilion and Malon's hands had they been alive. So now they're, they're in a dire situation, as I've been telling you, and their prospects were miserable, but God had a plan. And the plan would unfold once they obeyed the word. I want to repeat that. Many times you hear, God has a plan for you. God has a plan. And you look and wait, what is this plan, Lord? What's this plan? And we're thinking that God is going to somehow send a bolt of lightning and strike us or appear to us in some vision and tell us what the plan is. The plan unfolded for Naomi and Ruth when they obeyed the word. When they put into action the will of God as revealed in his word, the plan that God had for Ruth for Naomi, unfolded. It's when we obey the word that God's plan becomes a reality in our lives. When we receive the truth of the gospel, we believe in it, God's plan that we become rich in Christ becomes a reality. It unfolds when we believe the word, when we act on the word. When I don't act on the word, when I do things my own way, then I cannot expect God's plan to unfold. We're going to be always groping in the dark for this mysterious plan. God is going to make me rich. God is going to make me meet the wonderful person in my life who's going to be my spouse, a handsome man, the beautiful woman. God is going to bring me to some safe place. God, whatever. And we think of in very materialistic terms. God's plan is very clear. And God's plan for Naomi and Ruth was going to unfold when they acted on what God's word said, which was basically to go up to Boaz, as, we, as Ruth did last week, and as we said last week, rather, and remind him of his responsibility. Because that's what Boaz does with this other redeemer. Right? They sit at the, at the um, gate, because that's where everything took place. Every transaction always took place in the gate. The gate of the city, the gate of the town. That's where the court met. That's where the elders met. That's where everything important was discussed. And so he sits at the gate, and there he brings about this plan that's going to unfold that very day. The law that he puts into action is the law that Ruth reminded him of. And now he's reminding his friend, his relative as well, of this law of Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 and 6. And the leveret marriage, which is what that law explains, and then the redemption of the land, which is explained in Leviticus chapter 25, are brought into the picture in that very moment, in that court, now gathered because Boaz demanded it. And it happens then. The kinsman redeemer has to step up. The kinsman redeemer, 
Kinsman means relative. The Redeemer, who's a relative, is now stepping up. And he notices him and he says, come here, friend. And that person was going about on with his business, as I said, and he comes and sits down to Boaz because Boaz is a powerful man. He's a wealthy man. He's a respected man. And he sits down and he calls 10 more elders and they all sit and the court is convened. It was, that's the way it was done in those days. Today you have to have an appointment. You may wait two years before you go to court. That day it happened, <laughs> that very moment. And so, he reminds him of his responsibility. And just like Ruth reminded uh, Boaz of, her, of his responsibility. Now, someone brought this to my attention last week because they read this somewhere. That when Ruth placed herself in the middle of the night at the feet of Boaz and covered herself with his blanket or his robe, that they had sexual relationship that Boaz and Ruth, right after he agreed to do what she wanted, which is to put into action or to put into play, Deuteronomy 25, that they engaged in sexual relationship. That is the most ridiculous thing. That's when you understand when people are not reading Scripture. Because when they do have sexual relationship, God's Word says it clearly. Had they had sexual relationship, it would have been very unusual because one, the heap of grain was surrounded by men, a whole bunch of men. So you have men all around this heap of grain and they would have had sexual relationship with these men in the same place, which was unthinkable. Secondly, had he had sexual relationship with Ruth, why would he have to go to the other relative and say, now redeem her. By the way, I went to bed with her, but you can redeem her. It's just stupid. Why do people bring in their ideas? That's eisegesis completely. So Boaz is reminding this relative of his responsibility. So it's against the backdrop of tragedy and trials that we are introduced to this man called Boaz. In short, the focus is now on Boaz. It was on Naomi initially. It goes to Ruth and now it's on Boaz. The final chapter is really on Boaz. He works on behalf of these two poor widows. He willingly exercises the rights and the duties of kinsman redeemer. And he makes the difference in their lives. For a person to be a kinsman, and I prefer kinsman to relative. It just sounds better. Kinsman redeemer. It means relative. He had to have three qualifications. First, he had to be a close relative, not a distant one, close. Secondly, he had to be able to redeem, had to have the resources. And then third, he had to be willing to redeem. If he wasn't willing, like this other relative was not willing, then there's nothing you do about it. Boaz, Boaz would have said to Ruth, look, you are an outstanding woman, and what you've done is really out of this world, but I have no desire to redeem you, to marry you, and to redeem the inheritance. I'm sorry. So you had to be willing to do it. Boaz fulfilled all these requirements. And so Boaz really is a picture of Jesus Christ. So every time we read scripture, we need to read it in light of the ultimate redeemer, who is Jesus Christ. For in him, we are redeemed. As we're going to be looking at the life of Boaz, we're going to compare that with our redemption look at our redemption through the, those lenses and 
understand it more. So let's look at Boaz, seeing that he had the right to redeem. Verses four, verse four rather says, so I thought that I would inform you saying, buy it before those who are seated here and before the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me so that I may know for there is no one except you to redeem it and I am after you. So Boaz was a relative. The kinsman redeemer had to be a close relative of the deceased. Elimelech, dead. Malon, dead. Kilion, dead. Everybody's dead who were the owners of this land. And Boaz fulfilled this obligation as he states in verse 4. He was a close kinsman. And Boaz had every right to intervene on Ruth's behalf. Similarly, our Lord is our heavenly Boaz, and he is our kinsman redeemer. And to become a kinsman redeemer, he had to be close. How did he become close? He had to be like one of us. And that's why in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, we read, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, right, that's us, he himself, meaning Jesus Christ, also partook of the same, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. The only way the Lord could redeem us was for him to become a close relative, therefore a kinsman redeemer. He could not redeem us apart from his incarnation. He could not redeem us by staying in heaven and sending an angel, as the JWs claim. Makes no sense. To redeem us, he had to become like one of us. And so the word becomes flesh for that very reason. The second person of the Godhead became a man, became a close relative, so that as a man, he could have the right to redeem us from our sins, our spiritual bankruptcy. In reading the story of Ruth, we discover that Jesus Christ is the only redeemer that could have done such a thing. Now, in the story of Ruth, we discover there's another redeemer, someone that's even closer to, to Ruth and Boaz in the story. And he's willing to get the land. Oh, yeah, I'll get the land. Sure, I'll, I'll redeem that. But when it comes to marrying Ruth, he has no interest. He goes, no, that's going to put my interests in jeopardy. I don't want to do that. Because what would happen is that the son that would be born from Ruth could rise up and then challenge the other children of his marriage. And that happened at times. So he goes, I don't want to jeopardize. I don't want to put into problems my existing family. I'm not interested. In our world, we have others that promise us redemption. We have religion that promises us redemption. We have morality. Some people say, just be a good person. Be a kind person. You're going to be okay if you're kind, if you're just a good person, if you're a nice person. By the way, I've often said being nice is just a dangerous thing. It's, we're not called to be nice. We're called to be holy. Never are we told in the Bible, be nice. Because Jesus wasn't nice. Jesus was a good person, a good man, the only good person. But he was never nice. 
Had he been nice, he would have said yes to everybody. We're not called to be nice. And so here's Boaz, who was challenged by this one until this person realizes that he had to marry Ruth. And then he goes, no, I'm pulling back. And that's why he takes the sandal from his feet. It was like signing the agreement publicly, because it had to be done publicly. And there was this witness of the removal of the sandal and given to the man who would now take the right to redeem. Religion does that. Promises us redemption, but it cannot redeem us. Morality promises redemption, but it cannot redeem us. These things only put weights on us. People that are religious feel the burden of their religion. And people that are moral feel the burden of that life of living a moral life. They have to do good things. They have to... I met one Jewish person the other day and goes, I've got to do three good acts today, three good things, then my day is done. I said, what kind of a life is that? Three good acts. I've got to do three good things. Living like this every single day. This sense... He wasn't a religious person. He goes, look, I'm not a religious Jew. I just do three good things every single day. Morals. And those put burdens on us. Religion puts a burden on us. Only Christ sets us free. He is the ultimate redeemer. Boaz, on the other hand, knew who Ruth was. She was a Moabite, therefore not a Hebrew, not of Israel. She was poor, destitute. She was a widow. She had no name in Israel. She had no friends. She had nothing. Boaz knows all that. And look at your life. What were we before we knew Christ? We thought we had something, but we had nothing. Only now do we realize how poor we truly were. In Christ, we are made rich. And so it is with our heavenly Boaz. He loved us fully. He loved us fully, not for what we could give him, but for what he could give us. In Christ, we've been made rich. Jesus became like us and becomes our Boaz and redeems us so that we could become like him and receive our inheritance. And secondly, we see that Boaz was destined to be a kinsman redeemer. Another reason Boaz did what he did was because Boaz was destined to fulfill such a role. Boaz is a picture of the Lord Jesus who came to this world, came to Bethlehem, the very same town, and in that town, he was destined to become the kinsman redeemer. He willingly took our place as sinners, as a sinner on the cross, though he had never sinned, and he was punished in our stead. And why did he do it? Because he wanted to. He wanted to do that. Jesus was destined to become a kinsman redeemer. When the call was made, who will go for us? Jesus answered, here am I, send me. Jesus is referred to as the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. See, the law demanded death for sin. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, Paul says, the wages of sin is death. Someone has to die. The law demanded it. And so Jesus fulfills the demand by dying in our stead. Jesus went to the cross so that he could discharge the law of God. He didn't bypass the law. He fulfilled it completely. And because of his infinite worth, he is able to die in our stead, no matter how great our number, and no matter how many years 
it encompasses 2,000, 2,500, 3,000. I don't think it'll go that far, but all these years, the Lord has been saving because of his infinite worth as a kinsman redeemer. He became a curse so that the curse could be removed from us and we could be made the righteousness of God. Boaz redeemed with silver and gold. He was a wealthy man. He paid all the debts. He cleared the land and he marries Ruth. Redeemed with silver and gold. But our Lord redeemed us with a more precious currency. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, it says, knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with their precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. That's the currency God accepted. He would have accepted nothing else. No amount of silver or gold would have been able to redeem one soul, much less all the church. But with the blood of Christ, the entire church is redeemed. And that which we lost has now been regained. And we are rich in Christ Jesus. Secondly, Boaz had the resolve, not only the right, but the resolve to redeem. Verses 9 and 10 say, You are witnesses, he says to the court, today that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Malon. Furthermore, I have acquired Ruth the Moabites, the widow of Malon, to be my wife in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. Notice what he does, Boaz. He says, I'm going to marry her. There's going to be a child. The land, I'm not going to get it. I'm going to pay off the debts, but I'm not getting this land. The land is going to go to the son. Is that something? He's totally selfless. Who is that a picture of? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He pays the debt that we owed and then says, now you are rich because I'm giving you an inheritance. That is remarkable. That's why the other one didn't want to do it. He didn't want to pay that kind of price. So we see the devotion that Boaz had to the task. So in verses 1 to 4, Boaz goes early to the city gates. He meets these elders. He calls his friend. He makes sure that the transaction is done. Nothing was going to delay or stop Boaz from completing his mission. And again, when we look at Jesus, it's hard to miss a similarity. The Bible says that Jesus was determined to go to Jerusalem, determined to go to the cross. Peter tried to discourage him. Many tried to keep him from going to the cross. But Luke 9, 51 says, when the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. That's our Lord. Boaz was determined. Nothing was going to deter him. And Jesus was the same. Nothing can keep our Lord from paying the price for our redemption. How beautiful. Then, notice the discharge of the task. Verse 9 tells us that Boaz stayed there until the task was completed. And so it is with our Lord. He was going to redeem us at whatever cost. And he stayed with it. He never abandoned the task. Our heavenly Boaz stayed until these words were uttered on the cross. It is finished. What a wonderful redeemer. What a kinsman redeemer is our Lord. We have every reason to bless him and to give him glory. He paid the price in full so that you and I could be free and rich 
and his bride. What a savior. So he had the right to redeem. He had the resolve to redeem. And then Boaz had the resources to redeem. Verse 9, again. And then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses today that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Malon. The resources. Boaz was a wealthy man. He was able to remove all debts that were all liens that were against this land. And Boaz bought out the whole thing. He had enough money to do it, not impoverish himself. Lock, stock, and barrel. But our Lord did it differently. Because the Lord had to give himself. He was rich, and yet he became poor that through his poverty we might become rich. Boaz never impoverished himself in the process. He used his wealth, but he did not impoverish himself. He was a selfless man, but no one is as selfless as our heavenly Boaz. He's the one who went all the way, impoverishing himself, bankrupting himself, becoming a curse, taking on our sins so that we could become blessed, so that we could become holy, righteous in the eyes of God. What a savior. In Adam, we were declared sinners. We were irrevocably lost, dead in our sins. Our sin against the holy God brought upon us a judgment that was irreversible. The judgment of death, eternal damnation, destruction, and damnation were upon us. And we were left spiritually destitute and without hope. But thanks be to God that Jesus stepped into our dark world. And having lost everything, we now gained everything and more because of our heavenly Boaz. In Adam, we lost our fellowship with God. In Christ, we are seated in heavenly places with him. In Adam, we lost relationship with God. In Christ, we are children of God, sealed with the Holy Spirit, forever his, and no one can pluck us out of his hand. What an amazing God. God's people are richer now than we could ever imagine, and the magnitude of our wealth cannot even be, be comprehended with our limited understanding. We know in part, says Paul, but one day we will know as we are known. Think about how we are known by God. That's the kind of knowledge that will be granted us in understanding the wealth that we've been given in Christ Jesus. He had the resources to redeem not only the inheritance, but the woman, Ruth. Boaz had the resources to make Ruth his wife. He wanted more than simply buy back property. He wanted to redeem the person he had fallen in love with. He admired her and now wanted her to be his. And Jesus has the resources to redeem not only what we had lost and give us back more as an inheritance, but to redeem us with the currency that he made available, his own life by the shedding of blood. As sinners, we were unable to redeem ourselves. Unable. No amount of good deeds, no amount of prayers, no amount of sacrifice, nothing could have redeemed us, nothing. But our Lord was able to purchase 
us and forever change us by his death on the cross. And this is why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, the words I just quoted before, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. So Boaz had the right, the resolve, the resources, and finally, he had the reasons. He had the right reasons. As we read the book of Ruth, we come to see two very important truths, two very important uh, reasons that motivated Boaz to redeem Ruth. First, the law. He was motivated by the law because the law required it. We've looked at Deuteronomy 25. The law said that to raise up an inheritance for a widow that was childless, the closest of kin had to marry. There was a brother. And if the brother couldn't, then a cousin and so forth. The closest of kin. For Ruth to escape poverty and to get back the inheritance that was lost, Boaz had to marry her. If Boaz would have not married Ruth and would have tried to go about it another way, he would have been breaking the law. Boaz fulfilled the requirements of the law. He acted as kinsman redeemer according to the requirements of God's word. And that is why Jesus went to the cross. That's why he suffered and died as a man. He fulfilled what the law required. That's very important we understand this. Many people say, oh, he died because he loved us. He died to fulfill the requirements of the law. That's the number one reason. Had he not fulfilled the requirements of the law and simply loved us, he would have broken the law. But Jesus could not break the law because that would have made him unholy. And so he fulfills perfectly the law of God. Jesus never circumvented the law in any of his actions, much less in the redemption of his bride. Secondly, love demanded it. First, the law required it. Secondly, love demanded it. Yes, he loved his bride. It's obvious that Boaz had fallen in love with Ruth. He loved her in spite of her poverty. He loved her in spite of her lineage, that she was a Moabite. He loved her in spite of the fact that she was not um, famous in Israel or well, her, wasn't of the same social strata as he was. He was a wealthy, reputable man in Bethlehem. She wasn't. He loved her in spite of everything that was against her. He loved her with a selfless love and was willing to pay the price so that she could have a son that would take the inheritance of her deceased husband. So here are the reasons why Jesus did what he did for us, just like Boaz for Ruth, but in an even greater way. Jesus was born into this world. He loved us in spite of our poverty, in spite of our bankruptcy, in spite of our sins, in spite of our lineage, in spite of the fact that we turned our backs to God, in spite of the fact that we loved more our idols than God himself, in spite of all that, he loved us and he sought us and he bought us with his blood. That's the God that we serve. That's our heavenly Boaz. What a savior. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, Paul alludes to this as he speaks about the responsibility that husbands have toward their wives. Husbands, he says, love 
your wives. Not because they're pretty, not because they give you what you want, not because they do what you ask. Love them. How? In the same way Christ loved the church. But how did Christ love the church? He gave himself up for her. Now, we can never meet this kind of love, even as husbands. As much as we may love our husbands and our love may be spectacular, it doesn't come close to the love that Christ had for the church because we were really filthy and he was really holy. We were really bankrupt and he was really rich. We were really slaves and he was really free. He, we were down here, had made treason against God and we were now in cahoots with the devil and he was holy in heaven and his friendship was with the holy God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There was nothing in common with him and yet he leaves everything to redeem us. That's the way he gave up his privileges, his rights, so that he could have us for himself. He, we did him wrong, and he did nothing but right and made us his very own. So Boaz, as I said earlier, is the center of attention in this book. And this poor heathen girl is now the wife of a wealthy man, the most wealthy in Bethlehem, most likely. She comes back into focus. Things have changed for Ruth. This book opens with a funeral and it ends with a wedding. And that's our lives. When we come into this world, yes, there's pain, there's suffering. But believe me, you and me, folks, we have no idea what happens on the other side of death. Because there, there will be a wedding. There will be a great wedding. The wedding of the Lamb. And we are going to be seated with our heavenly groom. And we're going to look into his eyes and look into his face and see his scarred hands and see and be reminded over and over how much our heavenly Boaz loved us. Notice in verse 13 that the two have sexual relationships. They have an intimate relationship. Up to that point, Boaz had not touched Ruth in any way. Now Boaz can take Ruth into his arms. The law is fulfilled, and his love is satisfied. Boaz, in the beginning, you see him distant, caring, but distant. But now he is one with this woman who started off her life with a curse and now is fully blessed. And that's what it is for the church. That's what it is for you, beloved. Your life started off with a curse. When you were born into this world, you were born with the curse that Adam received. You were born in sin. You were born as a sinner. You were conceived in sin, in fact. You were declared sinner because of the federal head, Adam, who failed in the garden and he represented you and me. But now in Christ we've been redeemed and the curse has been removed and from being cursed we are now supremely blessed. More than words could ever say. We were dead. We were separated from God. We were alienated from him and having no right to the inheritance, but now we have inheritance. We have him. We have everything. We are richer than we think. What an amazing God. Yes, from being cursed now to being blessed. We can praise him, beloved, with all of our hearts. Let's thank him together, shall we? Oh, Lord, what a Savior. What a beloved Savior who has loved us with a love that we cannot even begin to describe. My words today just scratch the surface. And if our words that scratch the surface can give us such joy, how much more when we will see you face to face. 
How much more when we will meet our beloved and heavenly Boaz who loved us with his very life. Thank you for redeeming us, for being a kinsman, a relative, for choosing to become flesh so that we could become children of God and be rich in Christ. We are thankful for all of it, Lord, and we give you praise and glory. We ask that you would draw to yourself those who are still in darkness, those who have no knowledge or understanding of your great and unsearchable grace would you reveal Jesus to them, and would they today become children of the Most High God. This we ask in the precious name of our lovely Savior. Amen and amen.